One of the key principles of our justice system is that everyone's entitled to a legal defence and a fair trial, no matter how vile and depraved are their crimes, no matter how ridiculous their pleas of innocence. There are few more wicked individuals in British criminal history than Rosemary West, the Gloucester mother of eight who tortured, mutilated and murdered ten girls and young women to satisfy her insatiable appetite for violent sex. Today, in the first of an exclusive two-part Male Plus interview, Rosemary West's former solicitor, Leo Goatley, who spent hundreds of hours with the murderess, joins me to give the inside story on the so-called House of Horrors investigation, his psychopathic ex-client, and her relationship with her husband and partner in crime, Fred West. With extraordinary candour, he also reveals the ethical and professional dilemmas he faced in fulfilling his duty to build her defence case. And 25 years after she was jailed for life, his true feelings about her. I remember very clearly how I got involved in the West case. I got a call from my office at about midnight telling me to get down to Gloucester after two or three bodies had been found in a garden. Five days and nights into their excavation and forensic teams have now unearthed three sets of human remains, all buried in separate places, five feet under the garden patio of this Gloucester home. What do you recall about that very dramatic end to February 1994, when Heather West's remains were found in the garden in Cromwell Street. In I'd Cromwell been Street. called to Cheltenham Police Station at lunchtime, just before the weekend, at uh, the end of February, uh, to say that Rose West, an existing client, had been arrested on suspicion of murder of her daughter Heather, which took me by surprise. So obviously, I'd been involved in child abuse proceedings, but that was a considerable escalation. And then over that weekend, I mean, the way there was a momentum and then we were in this territory of more than one victim in the garden. I mean, it was, it was quite astounding. Today, detectives revealed that the bones they discovered in the early hours probably belonged to adults. At this time, for the most part, inquiries are continuing outside of the county. And it's believed that these people were alive until at least 1978. And I think that was probably, in terms of shock value, it was the stepping up there from a domestic abuse situation to suddenly, effectively, serial killing. There was a point beyond that where more victims were turning up, but the shock had already kind of passed. We'd kind of stepped into that territory already. I mean, it was all pretty dreadful, but... I would say it was that weekend where, for shock value, that was the greatest impact. And how many bodies had been discovered by then? There were only three, because Rose West was bailed off, and then in the ensuing week, 
Fred West wrote some message out admitting to nine other victims. What's often forgotten is that Rose West was interviewed about Heather uh, and there was this awareness of these other victims, but she was then bailed off at the end of February and she was out of the picture and so was I to a certain extent because it was all proceeding on the basis of what Fred West was saying and Rose West was bailed to a series of safe houses and the um, spotlight was off her until April. You know, she was your client. She's entitled to a defence. You have professional obligations to her, but this is a case which presumably you had never experienced anything like it in your career well, no. before. How did you separate your professional obligations to her with your own feelings about this case on a human level, your own personal feelings about it? With Rose West, there was a disconnect. I hadn't found her a difficult client. With hindsight, there was a strange kind of compliance about her. I mean, her interaction with blokes was really a prostitute. You know, it was about idle, kind of inoffensive tittle-tattle to give the guy a, uh, some kind of, I don't know, pleasant experience, girlfriend experience or something. Clearly, I'd read statements and evidence of just how she could have a vile temper, but it's actually relating that to just the sheer barbaric way in which these victims were dispatched. So the unreality probably made it possible for me to act for her because, you know, I'm relating to this person who's in some ways compliant, fairly inoffensive, not a difficult client. So if you're saying, didn't I have this huge anger, this kind of sense that obviously she was guilty and she'd done this, I don't think I did because her position was that somehow she'd been hoodwinked by the wicked, evil husband, Fred West, who'd done this all behind her back. I know that doesn't sound, well, it isn't very credible, but at the time, that was the, the basis of the defence. She denies she knew anything about the bodies, is that correct? Yes, she does. What does she say about knowledge of the killings at all? She totally denies that. Yes, she does. If she had said at an early stage, I'm guilty, I did it, but I'm going to plead not guilty and I want you to help me get off. What, as a lawyer, are your professional obligations then? If she'd admitted it, if she'd said she, she was guilty, well then I, w I would have certainly said, does that mean you wish to actually put that plea in court at your arraignment? But the, the default position is that if the client says, look, I've done this, you can say, well, it's for the prosecution to prove it. I think as a defence lawyer, you're obliged to say that so the client firmly understands it. But I'd have also said, but if you're admitting it, it's up to you. But don't expect any mercy or mitigation, given the seriousness of the offences. Before we go into the case in detail, Leo, can you just explain a bit about your background? I mean, prior to the West case, you were a duty sort of defence solicitor. What was the biggest case you'd covered previously? I'd only gone on to the duty solicitor scheme about three years earlier, and I dealt with a, a jealous ex-husband who assumed his estranged wife was having an affair with a, a man and turned up at their house and killed the guy. 
And I had another case where a guy was, it was domestic violence, it was charges and attempted murder, and I think it was dealt with as a Section 20 wounding. So those were the nearest cases to anything like this. But then, you know, how often does a case like this happen? Your first sort of involvement in Rosemary West was 1992, wasn't it? Sexual abuse proceedings, but please remind us about the circumstance of that and the size of, of the West family, because it was a big family, wasn't it? A dysfunctional family in, in, in many respects. Fred West was a builder. Rose West had a job as a cleaner. They had about eight children. And even that isn't something that's easily quantifiable because there were children who would turn up and then disappear. Um, obviously, the first example of that was Fred West's adopted, well, acquired daughter when he married Rena, Charmaine West. But there were other children. There was, there was another Stephen. In addition to Fred and Rose West's son, Stephen, there was another boy called Stephen who came to live with them and then did survive because he, he, he was located. But in any event, there were a number of children. Not all of them were the biological progeny of Fred and Rose. Rose had certainly three children by other men, neighbours in Cromwell Street. So, yes, it was a dysfunctional situation. Fred West had strange, perverted ideas, and he liked Rose West to prostitute herself, which she did regularly. So behind this smokescreen of normal normality, busy family, children being got off to school and Rose West darning blazers and whatever, there was all this other stuff going on over a number of years. And there were also lodges in the house and there were orgies and drugs and the Fred West was recognized as a local narc. He would tell the, local, the police who was dealing drugs. So that gave him a kind of immunity. They felt they had Fred West quantified as a bit of a spivvy local crook who gave them information about local drug dealers. And behind that disguise, he'd been sadistically abducting and murdering women back as long as it goes to the 60s. You were called to represent her in, in 1992. Talk us through that, if you will, about sure. what the allegations were. Well, in 1992, there was an allegation that had started as a rumour that this girl said a friend of hers was being sexually abused by her, her dad, and it resulted in a file being opened and social services got involved, so there was a warrant, and Fred and Rose were arrested and interviewed. She was charged with aiding and abetting Fred West's rape and buggery of his 13-year-old daughter. So it was, a, it was a very serious allegation, and that triggered straight away the social services to go in on emergency protection orders and take all the younger children out of the house. And then interim care orders were subsequently made. So it did trigger a very serious response. There's no question about that. And Fred West was remanded in custody and then bailed to a 
Sex Offenders Bail Hostel up in Birmingham, whereas Rose West remained on bail. Uh, but that case collapsed in 1993. It collapsed at court because the children refused to give evidence against their parents. Can you remember the first time you met Rosemary and what she was like? Well, I met her at the police station and she seemed a very dowdy, dyed-in-the-wool, domesticated mother who was quite flustered and breathless. She was wearing a sort of baggy top and some tights or um, tracksuit bottom type trousers with slippers and um, and she seemed preoccupied with the domestic situation although there was also she did express this concern about the police damaging all the work that Fred had done which seemed it seems a strange preoccupation when um, she was in the process of having her children taken off her I didn't realize it at the time but it was a big impact on her that initial point where the children were taken off her I, I think while she didn't admit it that was a point when a lot of chickens may have come home to roost for her because she did actually take an overdose at that time and as far as I know that's the only time that she took an overdose in the whole process right through to her final conviction was that a serious attempt on her life they believe it was she took a load of sleeping pills from what I gather she had a stomach pumped and she recovered so given how vicious she was capable of being with these young victims if she'd visited the same brutality on herself I'm sure she would have finished herself off so one wonders just how serious the attempt was. You said she was worried about the police dismantling Fred's handiwork I certainly wouldn't have wanted Fred West doing my DIY <laughs> but uh, joking aside there was something sinister there looking back at that now of hindsight that his work involved the uh, disposal of human remains. Yes, which he did so by tacking bits onto the side of the house. He built a kitchen which was cobbled onto the local church and he built a bathroom that was over car inspection pit in the back garden where he'd buried Linda Goff. So, yeah, the whole thing was very, very sinister and, and the secrets were yielded up within the yeah. ensuing months. By that stage, Heather West, Fred and Rose's sort of eldest own daughter, had been missing for five or six years, hadn't she? She disappeared when she was 16. Do you remember that being a major issue in that police investigation? Because where was Heather? Yeah, that was, that was significant. It was a big question mark in the child abuse inquiry. With any serious inquiry the police like to get a bit of background get a bit of narrative on the family and I think Hazel Savage who was involved in it already had quite a bit of narrative on the family but you know there was a, an audit of right well who lives at Cromwell Street how many children have you got what are their ages what are their names so who isn't there who's left uh, simple questions, innocuous questions. There'd be no reason to say go no comment on that. I mean, it, if they'd gone no comment on something as innocuous as that, it would have really set alarm bells ringing for everybody. But I suspect Hazel Savage had these alarm bells, but she was, you know, testing the water. But they snookered themselves because they came up with an elaborate, and actually what they each said was slightly contradictory, in their explanation of what had happened to Heather. 
she was difficult, she was a lesbian, she was giving Barry drugs, she was in with the wrong crowd, she wanted to leave home, and she'd gone off with a woman in a red mini, she was going to a, some kind of summer camp down in Devon or somewhere. But of course, some fairly uh, rudimentary inquiries showed that there'd been no trace on her medical records or her work record, you know, her national insurance number since 1987. So there was a big big question mark about Heather. Just finishing off with the 1992-1993 case, I imagine that Rosemary West was absolutely delighted that the case didn't proceed. Yeah, I think that's true. Although, uh, and this was evident to the, the to social services and, and the police who, who are familiar with these cases. Firstly, they were blaming the children. The allegations were because the children were bad. That's uh, an alarm bell, you know, because usually parents love their children and want to try and understand if, if there is some genuine problem with a child. But a parents who are openly hostile to their children in the way that Fred and Rose West were together clearly reflected badly on them. Rose West remained loyal to Fred at that stage. I mean, she went to visit him at his bail hostel. She'd take a tent up or... They'd have a little tent and bonk along the side of the road, or so it was said. And so they remained an item. So on the one hand, Rose West may have felt that she was getting away with it, but in fact all the signs were that she was making all the wrong sounds, actually. In effect, the net was closing in. So what had happened by February 1994 that resulted in Detective Superintendent John Bennett deciding that the garden at Cromwell Street should be dug up? There were childcare proceedings that were concluded. There was never any prospect that they were going to get the children back. And in fact, it was Rose West who engaged in those proceedings more than Fred West. He was on the paperwork, but he wasn't really engaged, whereas Rose West was. The care orders were made and the children were then adopted. The younger ones were adopted. I mean, they had their names changed and relocated to different parts of the country. But the police had specific information, didn't they, which made them want to dig up the garden? The children had told the foster parents there was a joke in the family about Heather being buried in the garden, which was a very weird kind of joke. But um, the police decided that that wasn't, um, it wasn't so funny. And that and the fact that there were no health or national insurance employment records for Heather. It was a hunch, it, it was a hunch, but they felt that they needed to question Fred and Rose informally, which they did. And then when they came to arrest Fred the following day, he admitted that he'd killed Heather. So before they'd even started digging the garden, they'd had an admission from Fred West that he'd killed Heather. So at what stage did Rosemary get arrested and you get involved? She was arrested at lunchtime on the uh, Friday and taken to Cheltenham Police Station, whereas Fred was arrested and eventually taken to Gloucester Police Station. I went to Cheltenham Police Station to see Rose, and I mean, she was in a very withdrawn and distraught state. By that time, remains had been discovered and it was evident there was more than one set of remains in the garden. But then on the Sunday afternoon, Rose West was bailed off. But John Bennett had said to me before she was bailed that 
she might be being bailed, but he had absolutely no doubt that they were as close to each other as the paint on the police station wall was to the plaster. Was she bailed on pending further inquiries on an allegation of murder or just in relation to the disappearance of Heather? What was the status of the allegation against her then? Uh, it was just in relation to Heather at that stage. What, murder? Yeah, uh, oh yes, yeah, she was bailed on suspicion of murder of Heather because I, I think at the end of that weekend there was still a lot of forensic work to do to identify precisely who the remains were. There were names being bandied about but it was all rather fluid as to exactly who was there. Initially, I think they were going to bail Rose back to Cromwell Street and then realised that would be ridiculous. It was a scene of crime, and they had to then come up with some police safe houses, and she was moved around about three times. And I did go and see her there. They, they were tape recording. She was there for several days. Did you suspect that those properties were being bugged? No. I know that the place in Long Levens was bugged. I'm not sure which of the others were. And there was nothing said. You know, some people dispute that. But evidentially, the CPS felt that it wasn't worth bothering with. It wouldn't have been worth... Because it would have been contentious. I think she spent a lot of time watching neighbours, didn't she? Yeah. Seemingly oblivious to the seriousness of her situation. Yeah, that was what I thought was more significant it was the the normality you thought well how can someone be like this confronted with you know what's unfolding did you notice a change in her demeanor as the body count went up her vitriol towards fred west increased and that probably she felt that she was safe as long as she was blaming fred west and all the suggestion was she was on bail fred was making admissions he was saying she had nothing to do with it she thought she had the wind in her sails, and we advised uh, she had a right against self-incrimination, and it would be just for her to say nothing, and she went through these interviews going no comment. But the officers had to put some appalling scenarios to her about Linda Goff, for example, but all of them. It was all horrible stuff, and in relation to Charmaine as well. And there were points where she was deeply disturbed, deeply upset, those questions were stabbing her deeply at times, but it didn't shake her into giving some kind of explanation, which I'm sure she was well capable of doing. Was she hostile towards the police? Yeah, she would sort of spit and rant. When she was in a corner, there was nothing ladylike about Rose West. She was, you know, like a, a spitting serpent, you know. She evidently trusted you, didn't she? How did you build that trust with her? I'd said we, you know, we would get a good defence team on board. And I think she needed people that she was familiar with. And she didn't want lots of people involved. She had this sort of curious affection for me. You know, when I read back some of the old correspondence, and it is sort of quite gushing, I don't quite know what that was about. Can you give us an example? Oh, just, hello, young man, you know, you're my, you know, strength and I don't know what I'd do without you. And all this sort of stuff, which when you're asking for her to give an account of various allegations, you, you don't really need all that. Almost juvenile. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. A lot of the stuff she wrote was, wasn't credible. It was, it suggested that there was part of a suspended at the age of about 11 
and maybe that was the time of some traumatic abuse although I suspect she was being abused by her father long before that so yeah there's that trace in her writing that is very juvenile I was a young journalist at the Daily Mail. My first big story for the paper, it was very, very dramatic because I was sent down there when the police thought there were three bodies in the garden. And then things went quiet for a little while before Fred evidently confessed to a whole load more. And I think it went up to nine or 10, by which time I, I guess Rosemary was in the police safe house. Was it at that stage just to be clear here, that the enormity of this case really dawned on you, uh, Leo. Yeah, I mean, by that stage it had gone you know, through the roof. It was stratospheric. You know, the media circus came to town. There was, you know, there were satellite dishes and the Cromwell Street was lined with observers and journalists. And But I was a bystander to that. That was certainly during March of 94, all that suddenly appeared. But... At the time, there was an unreality that she was kind of out of the picture. Although there were some pretty colourful headlines about what she was getting up to sexually, or had been, were all sorts of statements. But that salacious background, even that I felt was slightly separate from the horror of these remains being found with bindings on them. It became clear as time went on, especially at the committal hearing, which I covered for the Daily Mail in early 1995, just what those poor victims went through. I imagine you, as the defence sister, knew about it much earlier than that because she was being questioned on what was being discovered in the cellar, for example, at Cromwell Street. What's your recollection of that? Because in my whole career, I've never come across another case like this one. It was shocking. And um, on the one hand, you had the officers verbalising these questions. And at first, when they would put the question, you'd think, oh, for heaven's sake, they're over-egging the cake there. And then they'd produce some photographs, the state of the remains and the bindings around skulls and tubes up noses. I think just viewing those photographs was, was truly shocking. You know, if there'd been descriptions, which to a certain extent you feel, well, there's a certain amount of speculation about this. But when you see the photograph, there's no speculation about that. That was so uh, horrific. I mean, there's no other word for it. You obviously were paid. You had a professional obligation to defend her. But did you, as the true horror of what happened in Cromwell Street emerged... Did you find yourself looking at her differently as a person and, and privately questioning her, her innocence? Yes, I think I probably did. I felt that it was a legal matter. It was, it was a matter of due process to establish her guilt. And as I advised her in an early stage, it was for the prosecution to prove that. But yeah, uh, I think that I compartmentalised my own shock and horror and doubt about her. I mean, the fact of the matter is she was found guilty, and if I'd really believed she was innocent, I, I would have found that very difficult, but I, I don't believe she was innocent. She was eventually charged with the murders of 10 
girls and young women. How did she react to those charges being brought because she was suddenly uh, you know, about to uh, write her own chapter in British criminal history, the most prolific female killer? She had a confidence in the defence team. She went into the committal hearing fairly buoyed up in my recollection. I think she found the questions, even though she remained no comment, I think she found that, uh, which, which revisited the full horror of what her and Fred West had been involved in, I think that shook her to the core. So I think the process of actually charging her meant that they weren't going to ask any more questions about it. I think it might have even been a bit of a relief to her. January the 1st, 1995, I remember it very clearly in my career because I was out on a job for the Daily Mail and suddenly I get a call to say there's a rumour that Fred West had killed himself. Detectives from West Midlands Police were back at the prison today continuing their investigation into Fred West's death. But the question still unanswered by the prison authorities is how closely Mr West was being watched at the time he took his life. And there was a serious feeling that... Uh, the case against Rose might be dropped. What do you recall of the, of the drama of that day? Uh... She was a mixture of emotions. She was almost, on the one hand, excited by the fact that Fred had died and that she felt that it meant that the case might not go ahead. I said, obviously, it's all going to have to be reviewed. But she was also choked up. I think she was kind of concealing any upset that she had as a result of Fred killing himself. She could obviously switch her emotions on and off, but I think there was a kind of excitement with her that she thought it was, it was good for her in some way, but she was soon disavowed of that when the police said, no, we're not dropping it. And a couple of officers had later, within a fortnight, attended at Puckle Church and interviewed her and charged her with Charmaine. So from thinking things were getting better at that, if there was anything that needed to remind her that they were getting worse, it was when she was charged with Charmaine, and I think that knocked her. This morning, Rosemary West was charged with the murder of Charmaine West between the 1st of May 1971 and the 31st of December 1971. The Crown Prosecution Service has advised us that the Crown will be pursuing the case against Rosemary West at the committal proceedings at Dursley Magistrates Court on the 6th of February. There was a committal hearing at Dursley Magistrates in Gloucestershire in February of 95. I remember it very clearly. I think it was at that pre-trial hearing, the old-style committal, as it's known officially, is when I think us as journalists really realised the first time the true horror and sordid nature of this case. And I remember, Leo, at that old-style committal hearing, having a chat with a couple of journalists who had covered the Moores murders trial right. back in the 60s of Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. And them saying, I remember very clearly, that this case, the West case, wasn't as bad as that. And I think that wasn't to do with the body count. It was to do with the fact that there have been tape recordings of 
appalling uh, yeah. torture of the Moors murders victims. It wasn't in the West case. It was an interesting conversation because clearly there are far more victims or known victims of the West's and it, what was coming out in court that week didn't leave much to the imagination about what the victims had gone through, irrespective mm. of whether there had been any tape recordings or not. No, I, I think that, that certainly from the press point of view, it, it gave a pretty strong flavour of what it was about. The point I wanted to come on to was obviously the comparisons with the Moore's murder case because in your book, Understanding Fred and Rose West, you, you do reveal or confirm that while on remand in prison, Rosemary West had a, a relationship with Myra Hindley. Interesting uh, that they end up together and that they had a chance to form a relationship for a time. P please talk us through that. Rose West had told me that they'd got to know each other and Rose West initially was, was very impressed with Myra Hindley. You know, she talked about her in glowing terms about what a, an intelligent person she was and she'd done OU courses. That was during the initial remand period. But then when she was convicted and she was sent back to Durham, she was on the hospital wing for assessment and checkup before being put in a cell on the female wing. And it was during that time in hospital that Myra Hindley was also was in the next bed on the hospital wing um, because she'd fallen over in the exercise yard and broken a bone, which was something she was going to do, apparently. And it was at that point when they were both together there, they got to know each other very well. And then later, Rose wrote to me in the following month saying that she got to know Myra well and... Um, wanted to see how it was going to go. And given Rose West's history, and given my knowledge of Rose West, that um, I felt with a high degree of confidence that they were um, in, a, in a lesbian relationship. It was very short-lived because from being very gushing about Myra, I then got a letter that was full of venom saying you've got to watch that one that uh, she was being exploited and made to do things that she described uh, Myra Linney making her do things that she didn't want to do and then eventually said that you know she wasn't going to let her take her for a again that was her choice language so from being full-on to being really hostile, that the turnaround was literally probably within a couple of months. Whatever else that says, it shows that there was a high, highly charged level of emotion felt by Rose West in her relationship with Myra Hindley. The idea that these two most notorious of murderesses, shall we say, in the UK should end up together in a an intimate relationship, albeit a brief one, is, is quite extraordinary. It's amazing that the authorities allowed that to happen. I do wonder about that. I do wonder whether, rightly or wrongly, whether there was a certain amount of encouragement or, or collusion. Because given the fact that, you know, Rose West had been bugged in one of the safe houses, it might have been uh, helpful to 
explain certain things and find out information if they'd exchanged notes and that that had been eavesdropped by the authorities. I don't know. I'd, I mean, nothing occurred. But um, you'd have thought the prison authorities would have had a choice about whether Myra Hindley and Rose West should be in adjoining beds in a, on the hospital wing. In your book, Leo, you say that Rosemary West described Hindley as very manipulative and dangerous. Yeah. I yeah. mean, for someone like Rosemary West to say that of someone else, it says it all, really, doesn't it? Well, yes, it does. It does. Mentally, she was probably very manipulative. You know, she could use her intellect, but I think if that didn't succeed, she was very, Hindley would have been vulnerable in a physical situation. But mentally, she had the edge over Rosemary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Next time on Rose West Defending a Monster. Rosemary West in public for the first time since her husband was found hanging in his cell on New Year's Day. She lacked a certain amount of reality and also I think she'd been quite well fed on remand and, and she was dressed looking a bit like a witch. Rosemary West will spend the first night of her life sentence here at Winchester Prison, knowing this evening that she can never hope to be set free. There was a weird kind of religion thing with Fred and Rose West. Back in the early letters, there's talk of God. I, I, I think it was some kind of, well, it could have been Satanism, couldn't it? I mean... Do you feel guilty in any way about being a party to her defense? She actually believes in this nice person she presents as sweet old Rose. She just won't go there. All that foulness is somewhere buried in her mind and she's locked the door and thrown the key away on it. I'm Stephen Wright and you've been listening to a Male Plus True Crime interview with Rosemary West's former defence solicitor, Leo Goatley.